In the first reading for today, we hear how God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. The first reading is from Leviticus, the 18th and 19th chapter. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason, frank, reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not wake vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalm reading for today is Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout out in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. 
The letter to the Colossians was written to warn its readers of various false teachings. The first part of the letter is an expression of thanks for the faith, hope, and love that mark this community, including a prayer for strength and courage from Paul. The second reading is from Colossians, the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth and the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Ephorus, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy." giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. He said, Jesus, or teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, 
pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The gospel of our Lord. Looking at different, really smart and just godly and enlightened authors and people who have been looking at these Bible lessons over the last week and... um, Around the world, globally, it is possible that the parable that we just heard is known across the world more than any other parable that's been taught. The parable of a good Samaritan. Just about every culture, even if they're not Christian, has had access or has heard about a good Samaritan, particularly within Christian world and within the United States. This is one of the parables that almost everybody knows. Um, A good Samaritan. Now, I think God inspires us. Think about this lesson. I think God inspires us to, to all be good to each other. That's a God-made thing. Being kind to one another and being gentle with one another. Being honest and having integrity and not stealing, not killing, but doing the right things of, of loving people and forgiving people. Those are all like God. If you think about it, we are made in God's image and likeness. Genesis tells us just that. When God made us, he made us in his image and in his likeness. So when we have those those characteristics that want to come out, they are God-like, they are God-inspired, they are who we are purposed to be, who God made us to be, to notice, to be kind, to take care of people, to raise people up, to love them as we love ourselves. That is a God-inspired, heavenly way. We are to do those things. But why does it stop? What are, why is there uncaring? And why do people hurt each other with words and with actions and with neglect or just walking on the other side? Why do we hurt each other? Why? Why does the God part stop and the ugliness begin? Thinking about that off and on, you can maybe think about those things yourself as you see the world around you. It's not necessarily a a good world these days, and we also know it's not going to get any better between now and the time Jesus returns. So in that set, um, in those things... Something came to my mind about this this last week. As you know, uh, last week we were the 4th of July week. My family was able to travel towards uh, Lake Okoboji in north, northwest central Iowa. It's just about 20 miles south of the Minnesota border and about 80 miles um, to the east of the South Dakota border. And uh, there we met with uh, my mother and her sister. So on my, on my grandparents, on my mom's side, all the living ones were there. My mom and her sister, my sister and myself. Our spouses, and each one of us brought three children, and actually my sister's children have some other children, so now our grandchildren. So 
We, had, we were all there. It was like a reunion of sorts. And we were at a house that was built by my grandparents. Talk about a legacy given. You know, they, they worked really hard. They worked really smart. They retired and they built a house and they've been passing on their hard work and their labor to the next generation and the next. And in that house, we were thinking about it, six generations have been in that house, shared meals in that house, shared time with each other in that house, shared irritations with each other in that house. But that's life in that house. And so while we're there, like on the, you know, the second day there, I string up a hammock. I like hammocks. And, um, and so I strung up a hammock between some trees, and I'm in that hammock in the morning. I'm listening to um, my Bible app. And uh, my Bible app, this Bible app, has, uh, I can push play, and I can listen to any book of the Bible, and he reads it to me. And so I'm listening to these verses, and, and, and in the morning, my mom was fidget, you know, fiddling with some stuff outside, and she knows I was in the hammock. I'm facing kind of the lake in the canal area, and um, she, she, she notices with me that there's a lot of robins. Robins are back in that part of the world. They are incredible little birds. They look, and they can find nightcrawlers. Nightcrawlers there aren't small like here. The nightcrawlers there are like small snakes. They're about the size of my pinky and about this long. And, and these robins have an ability to find them when they didn't make it back to the hole in time before the sun's coming up. And they fly down, they pounce, and they're yanking these big old worms. They're flying up to the nest. So she notices me, and she just doesn't notice I'm sitting there, but moms notice. Have you ever had ability? Like, sometimes dads do too. I mean, people that love us know us, and they, they have an instinct and intuition about what's going on in us. And so she notices I'm watching these birds, and she notices that, you know, I'm coming to the lake, and I'm tired. I'm just kind of down, maybe. And she said, um, do you remember robins and baby robins when you are a child? I said, not so much. She says, well, I remember. And I'm going to tell you something about the younger you. Maybe you've forgotten, but I haven't. She says, when you were little, little, and we'd just gotten back to the States, and we're up in Iowa, and you were watching these little birds in the springtime, much like maybe you are kind of now, she said, you found a little baby robin that had gotten out of the nest. Now, whether it tried to fly out and it thought it could fly and it wasn't quite ready or whether it just fell out, we don't know, but you found this little bird. And, and, and you notice that this little bird in your, kind of like in your heart, you had this, this sense that it was scared. You're like, where's mom? Where's dad? Well, this is a baby. It needs, it needs a parent, right? And, and, you, and you thought in your mind, in your heart, that maybe the bird was sad because it was so far away from the nest and from mom and dad. And you were just displaying this, this heart for this little baby bird that it was alone, it was alone, and the baby shouldn't be alone. It was in danger because you knew that there were cats around, and cats just find birds, and they bring them, and they kill them, and they leave them on your doorsteps. That's what they do, and you thought that this cat would be taking this bird and killing this little baby, and you didn't want that to happen, and so in this need and this thing, you wanted to provide it safety and food and all the things that was needed, so I said, okay, this isn't, you're not the first child maybe to do this. Maybe you have done that the same way as yourself, right? Did you ever find a little bird and maybe want to try to rescue that little bird? Right? So she goes and she finds a shoebox and she takes out this cotton balls and there we start forming up this nest. And I said, oh, but it looks, it looks too humanly. So I, we put some grass and leaves and other stuff on the inside. Now we got this nest just right. And I get a little cup. It needs water because babies just need it. might be thirsty little bird. And then on top of that, now I go out and I'm finding some night crawlers. I know where they're at. I move the rocks and they can't get fast enough. And I get that night crawlers and I chop them up and I put them all in there and I put some seeds and I'm just putting stuff in this box because one never knows what a baby bird just might need. I'm not a baby bird mama. So we got this box. She goes, you get this little ladder and you're tying it to the tree. So now it'll be up and it'll be protected, right? 
Have you ever done that? All right, all right, all right. So you got it up there, and you got it on the ball in set. And the first day you kind of peek, and it's still okay. She goes, I don't know whether it was the second day or the third day, but when you looked up in that nest, the baby bird was dead. After all you'd done, have you ever did the same thing? Did you ever find a little baby bird, try to rescue a little baby bird, and then it, wasn't, it doesn't go well most of the time? So it was dead. She said, but you would find another one, and you would find another one. And she says, there was a period of time in your life you would just find these birds, and you already had the box, you had the stuff, and you'd maybe try new stuff, but it, it consistently you would find the birds, you'd put them in the boxes, and they would just, they would just die. She said, I don't remember when it happened. Sometime, eventually, it just happened, she said. She says, you quit trying to save the baby birds. I choked up at the early service. I'm doing it garbage. So, <laughs> this is irritating because I want to be able to talk. All right. Give my voice back. Come on, help me, God. They said, if you can smile, you can talk. So I'll just have to smile through this. So there it was. I quit trying. And um, you tried. You you stopped trying because maybe you thought there was no use. You would do your best, and you got the same outcome. And then you, in time, instead of picking up the birds, you just walked by them. You pretended they didn't exist. You just ignored them. Passed by. And she says, she says, Jesus never quits. My mom's a Christian, so she says, and you're a pastor. And she says, you can't quit either. Now, jump to the Samaritan story. When you, let, when you read the Bible's this Samaritan story, and it's very common, you've probably heard it hundreds of times in your life. When you read the story, who were you in the story? When you hear the story, which one? In the very beginning, are you the, the lawyer, the, the religious one who is seeking God, and you have a teacher in front of you, and maybe this is your chance to find out, Lord, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And you have an opportunity Are you that one that's seeking to inherit the kingdom of God? He puts that in there and they remember it in the story. It's important for people because if you think about the question, it's flawed. I'm thinking about my grandparents. What did my mother and my aunt, what did my sister and myself, what did any of my sons or any of my sister's family, what did we do to inherit that house and all that my grandparents have provided? Nothing. They worked, they earned, they built, they loved, they provided. For me to go to my grandfather and say, Grandfather, what do I have to do to inherit your house is rude. I think we had a sermon about that a while back, and I asked Mr. Stockley, I said, what do I have to do to inherit your house? He said, you got to talk to Bart or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, in this conversation, it happens again. This person wants to know what they have to do to inherit an eternal life. And, and it's an insult to the father who prepares it all. It's an insult to Jesus who is working his his life away to give it away. We don't work to get love. We don't work to inherit this house. It's a gift. The best we do is just say thank you. 
to say that we can work for it's insulting the heart and the efforts of the one who could provide something for us when we can't provide it for ourselves. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Wrong question. So Jesus spins it around. Eventually, the guy comes up with a good answer. We could, I know churches, they're named after Bible verses. We could name our congregation 1027. And people would say, what, what your church is named 1027? And that'd give you a great opportunity to explain. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and you will love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, 27. We could be that church. A cross and a 10 and a 27. That was the answer he provided. And Jesus says, if you do that, you'll live. Catches, we can't do that. I can't love my father in perfection. I want to. I really wish I could, but I don't. I wish I could love you, my neighbors, as I love myself. I want to. I can't do it in perfection. So the end, the inheritance, I can't earn it. It's a gift. Right? So there's the first part. But now the second part, if you didn't, add, if you didn't identify with being the, the lawyer, the Levite, who knows all the codes of God and is inviting or asking about how you be, who, who were you in the parable? There's at least a number of people mentioned. There's, there's the first one, the priest. There's the second one, the Levite or the, the lawyer. Another one was the Samaritan. Did you identify with any of those? And when you think about it in your life and you think about it, who am I in this lesson? The, the priest was tasked with, with helping the people rightly worship God to take their offerings of, of, of sacrifice for sins and for gratitude of God and then receive those on their behalf and present them to God and or take care of the widows and the orphans. There was a thing that was involved with right worship. Are you someone who's really concerned that we sing the right hymns at the right tempo in the right way, that we have the right decorations and the right style of buildings, that everybody's wearing the right kind of clothes? You might be someone who has that kind of an emphasis, but what about this, what about the... the the person needs a relationship. Sometimes we can get lost in being the church that we forget being the busyness of that person that we forget about being the church that loves. And maybe we're the Levite. We're so about the codes that we get the right doctrines and the right presentations of doctrines and the right emphasis on the right syllable. And we forget about the person next to us who doesn't know Jesus and would really like to know Jesus, but can't get past our legalism. Are we those two or are we the Samaritan? An idea of a good Samaritan, that's an oxymoron. It's like saying good cancer. It really is. There was nothing good in their minds about a Samaritan, right? There just wasn't. There was a long history of that. And to be a Samaritan, that was out of their way. I mean, they couldn't even think about being a Samaritan. They were the unwanted ones when, they, when, the, when the northern armies came down and wiped out that part of the northern part of that kingdom. They were the ones who were left over because they were unwanted. They were just that unimportant. They took all the people with religion and with faith and with money and with any leverage in life. And the people who were left were the unwanted. So they were the unwanted. And then they married other people and they had cross generations of marriage. They adopted other gods, they, they looked at them as kind of like a bastard people with a, with a wrong religion. And they had, they had all kinds of gods that were wrong. And they didn't understand why they rebuilt Jerusalem there. We had Mount Gerizim here. I mean, there was just tensions between peoples. Samaritans. No one could identify with a Samaritan. They all disliked him. But in this story, were you a Samaritan? Would you want to be the Samaritan? 
Here's a thought. Jesus was a Samaritan. In this story, two weeks ago, remember that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. He set his face. He's going there, and he knows exactly what's going to happen. His best friends and his family are going to leave him in his hour of need. In his hour of greatest need, they will fall asleep at best, and they will leave him. He knows that, and he knows that the people that he came to save and to serve, that they are going to shout, crucify. He knows that. And he also knows that this religious institution is supposed to reflect him and his father to the nations, to be a light to the nation, that that institution is going to beat him and to turn him over to the Romans, that he can die on a Roman cross. He knows that. He set his face to Jerusalem and that cross, but he won't quit. Jesus will not quit. Last week, remember that he sent out 72. He sent out his 12 and an additional 60. We don't even know where those 60 came from, but they went and now they didn't all meet with good success. They probably had some challenges. They probably had some people that laughed at them, ridiculed them, and sent them on their way. But there were some who received their blessing and the good news that Jesus was about to come through on his way to Jerusalem. And they learned to trust their Lord. I think Ms. Olenichek had great words for us last week about how we can trust in God's provisions and be God's people, right? Right after they come back, we got today's lesson. There's not a chance to have more celebration. There's not more chance. There's a, there's, a, there's a test to see if he's going to fail. Because if he answers about eternal life, the Sadducees are going to be after him because they don't believe there's eternal life. And they have got a political war going on. They're trying to play him. It's always being played. And they're always coming after him. And still, Jesus never quits. He will love. He will love. He's the Samaritan. He's the unwanted person the unlike person who will absolutely tell the truth whether you, you want to hear it or not because he's going to tell you the truth because what you need to hear. And even if you don't like him, he's going to tell you. And in spite of that, he will work to save people. Whether you believe in him or not, he's going to save people. He doesn't quit. So if he's that person, then who are we in the parable? There's a really good chance if you're not priest, you're not Levite, you're not Samaritan, how about you consider yourself as the one who was left for dead. The one who has been beaten and robbed and discarded like rubbish to die. Isn't that what Satan does to us all the time? He's always trying to lie to us and steal from us and tries to kill us. Satan is always trying to hurt us, God's children. He's always trying to use us to hurt each other. He's always trying to tear apart his church. He's always trying to have us bite each other and devour each other to try to consume and, and gather as much as we can at the expense of whatever. Satan just does that. And then he leaves us for half dead. We could be easily that person who was left for half dead. And that person could be any one of us. When you read the parable again, notice that that person has been robbed and stripped in such a way as you don't know whether that person was a, a lawyer, a Levite. You can't tell whether that person was a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a scribe. You don't know whether that person was from Rome or from Persia, from Egypt, or whether he was from Samaria, or he was the, the crown prince that came out of the, the temple in Jerusalem. That person is so beat up and so mauled and left naked, you don't know who they were. That person could be any one of us. There are times in our lives when we are beat up. There are absolutely times when we're beat down. Times that just happens. And Jesus notices. See, he did just, 
Jesus in this story just doesn't notice that, that, that person left, man, woman, or child. Jesus notices us. And he just doesn't notice. Jesus just doesn't see and say, yeah, there's a bird and I know it's going to die. I know it's not going to love me. I know it doesn't have a chance. So I'm just going to keep walking down my way. No, Jesus not only notices that human being, but Jesus comes to that person. He comes to you and me and he says, I will love you and I will care for you. Whether you love me back or not, whether you choose heaven or not. I will love. Jesus loves. He has come to save us in every way and every way. And, and he's paying a price. This was not cheap for God. He just didn't snap his finger and just out of his words spoke something that would save us. No, it cost the father his son. Not very many people are willing to give their son for someone who will hate them, let alone someone who would love them. God gave his son. That's love. He will personally pay a price on that cross, taking our sin, paying our price so that he can say, I forgive you because I've earned it. I'm perfect. I died in your place. You are now set free. So be free. And I've prepared a place for you in heaven. I'm going there and I will take you there. You're to trust. He loves us. He comes to us. He's paid the price for us. And he personally takes us to heaven where he is for all eternity. To a world that is so full of hurt and dying. Jesus is telling his church in this parable, never quit. You're saved. Now go help save some others. That's where the stewardship of the gift comes to play. We have received all this. We are the wounded people that have been nurtured. We have been put in a motel. We have been bathed and cleansed and healed and bandaged. And he's paid all the price for that for us so that we can truly come out of this place and fully live in this world. So now having done that, now what? In this one, be the Samaritan next. We've been in the ditch. Now it's time to be the Samaritan. God has blessed each one of us with a special gift in business and in life as parents, as people. Each one of us uniquely are blessed. Not one of us in this room is the same. All different. And he has tooled every one of us up for a reason and purpose, and that is to serve him. Because he wants life to everybody. Our reason and purpose is a church is that we would use God's resources blessed us with that we could be his hands and feet and his mouth and his heart in this world. Everything that we are, all of our gifts, all of our attributes, even our hearts. Yes, you might have to love somebody that will never love you back. You might have to forgive someone who never asked for forgiveness. And you're to do that time and time again because that's what Jesus does. And whether or not one bird lives out of a thousand, maybe one will. It doesn't change your nature to have a heart and to love like a good Samaritan Jesus. And that includes even our money. We don't give to budgets. We give to the Lord. Everything that we are, we give back. The person who was robbed, what would he give in return for the person who saved him? Everything. Would he not? Was she not? In such gratitude for having been loved so greatly, you just say, here it is. 
I am your servant for the rest of my life. I would be dead without you. I would have died on the side of the road. I would have no life with you, but you've given me life. So Lord, here it is. So all that we are, it includes our money. We give out a gratitude to our God. If we have people that give to this, this congregation, the ministry to here, and we raise five times the amount that we have for our budget, that means we get to do five more times the amount of ministry on behalf of our Lord. We do not give to a budget. We do not give to an institution. We give to God. Our life, all that we have and all that we are. We've been saved that we can save others. And to a church, we never quit. It's not about the outcome. It's about our effort to love and to save. God help us be his church. Amen. Let us declare our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord, we give thanks for your great rescue and the gift of forgiveness life and salvation in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to cherish your kingdom always. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, send us your Holy Spirit, that our daily faith will be strong, and that we desire to walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, give us opportunities to share your love with others and to use the gifts you provide to the praise and honor of your name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, protect your people and protect your church throughout the world. Send your Holy Spirit into the hearts and minds of those who have wandered from the faith. By your word of truth, convict them and bring them to faith again. Help us be bold in our witness and always ready to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayers. Lord, be with, encourage, and sustain those who are struggling at this time. We pray for all who are brokenhearted and whose lives are wounded and those we name silently in our hearts. Give them confidence that you know their needs. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, bless our work together in this congregation through this ministry. Help us be creative and inspired. Help us to be open to your will. Help us to understand and sleep clearly the vision of what you want our congregation and its ministry to be. Continue to present opportunities for us to love and serve in your name. Help us to know you better and to make you known to those around us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, Heavenly Father, we commend all for whom we pray. We will trust in your mercy. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.